In today's episode, we're talking about optimizing workload placement and network connectivity in the network of clouds, multi-cloud. And if you just choked on buzzwords, well, here's the big idea. You need to put workloads in places that make operational and economic sense. And you've done that thoughtfully. You're going to end up with workloads in a mix of places, AWS, Azure, GCP, and then perhaps a variety of on-premises locations, uh, co-location, your own lovingly built data centers, and edge locations where data must be processed immediately to be useful. So, yeah, great. Uh, We got compute spread all over the place. Well, how do you make smart decisions about where, architecturally, those certain workloads should be placed? And when you have sorted that out, how do you handle that operationally? To help you reduce your stress is our sponsor, VeloCloud, a VMware company. And joining us from VeloCloud is Marco Mergia, Senior Director of Product Engineering. Marco, welcome to Day 2 Cloud. And, And hey, man, we want to jump right into the conversation here by thinking about network traffic patterns that evolve in multi-cloud deployments. So how has the adoption of of SaaS and cloud services, which basically everybody is doing, how has the adoption of these services altered network traffic patterns for business? Well, it goes back a ways at this point, but, you know, SaaS and cloud and internet-bound traffic basically is, you know, on the private networks has, because of the transition, you know, 30, 50, 70% of that traffic is now destined for the internet or goes through the internet to a cloud uh, or to SaaS. So basically the network's mod- been extended to include the internet. And because of that, you know, the, the, the familiar hub and spoke architectures with internet breakouts at the data centers became inefficient. And so you've seen a variety of modifications to that. Uh, local internet breakout being the most common, but regional breakouts and then for for high-end companies, you know, standing up colos like in Equinix as an example, where they put in all their routing and networking equipment and essentially make those sort of their network regional breakouts and get better connectivity to SaaS and cloud that way. Yeah, you're underscoring a lot of the, the the patterns we see people trying to deal with now as they transition their networks to the new model to consume wherever their computers ended up. Uh, internet breakout at the edge being like the biggest one I'm seeing. People trying to figure that out because they were hauling everything back to headquarters and now they really don't want to do that. It's not efficient at all for lots of reasons. And and then dealing with all those internet circuits that are there and optimizing them is a, is a thing. And then the colo thing as well. Um, you mentioned Equinix and right. So another pattern pattern is I've got to put stuff in Equinix and then I can bring in direct connects from uh, AWS uh, and Azure and so on. Exactly. I mean, and that now all that being said, that's a sort of a, I'll call it the high end solution or the roll your own, you know, public network extension. So while it's definitely uh, high performance, it's, it's takes a long time to get there and a lot of network engineering to build it out. I see another challenge and this is something I encountered in Uh, my day-to-day consulting life was a lot of organizations set up some sort of complicated proxy system for their clients to route all the traffic through these, you know, metal boxes back at the internet breakout or whatever for proxies. So have you seen some sort of disruption in that area as well? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, and those used to be on-premise boxes where they they would terminate all the stuff. And then, uh, I mean, the, the internet breakout and sort of part and parcel to that internet breakout has been the rise of, you know, cloud-based security services and those cloud proxies in the sky to, let's say, bring the security that the enterprise needs and wants 
and enable this internet breakout type model. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Another way that, uh, you know, getting existing data centers connected to the clouds, I think you mentioned this a little bit is, you know, the idea now is they might be using a direct connect to say AWS or something similar. Uh, I know there's a number of different potential solutions uh, to get cloud providers uh, or to get data centers connected to cloud providers, but there's also some challenges with those solutions. Can can you walk us through some of those solutions and what the pros and cons are? Let's start with the the sort of the easiest one. AWS Azure and almost every cloud supports IPsec connectivity into the into their cloud, whether directly into a VNet for Microsoft or into a virtual hub. That works great in the sense that you can stand it up fairly quickly. They've done automation. They've they've done some templatization to make it easier for people to configure. But you still have to deal with all the routing and, and other things there. The problem tends to be that, you know, at best you're getting a gigabit throughput and the quality of the link between any given site and that cloud tends to vary a fair amount because, you know, depending on the type of branch or, or, or location, you know, a random packet drop causes TCP to back off and, and you, you end up with non optimal performance. So, so while it works up great for POCs and, and quick demos or, or small deployments, it tends to be challenged when you're going production. Mm-hmm. So then people start stepping up to other solutions. You mentioned Direct Connect and, and Express Route. So that's where the, I call it the, the Fortune 500 solution. I can build, a, again, the Equinix Colo, pull my MPLS into the MPLS Colo, into the Equinix Colo, and then connect Express Route or, or Direct Connect in there. Uh, VMware itself went through something similar to build out their cloud connectivity back in the day. And it's, while you get better performance, you get your private MPLS and you get your, your sort of guaranteed bandwidth and with SLAs into those clouds, it takes, you know, 18 months to roll that out. And then on top of that, you want to try and share that between different departments and things like that. So it gets to be a fairly complex solution uh, and quite expensive if you add it all up. So then this is where VeloCloud kind of came in with a, I don't know exactly what I would call it from from an analogy standpoint, but our (laughs) cloud gateway solution, we stand up again in Equinix Colos. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a commercial for Equinix, apparently. Um, <laughs> I don't think they'll mind. <laughs> so we stand up our gateways. Our da- gateways are multi-tenant you know, endpoints where we run our SD-WAN from branches or data centers to those gateways. And then from there, we're now connected to IX exchanges, get blended transits. So now we have much, much higher quality uh, connectivity to SaaS, to cloud. And so... Using that, we, we've measured remarkably better performance when, even when using uh, IPsec to connect that last bit into the cloud. So, so the idea there is I connect with my VeloCloud box that's on-premises to your VeloCloud box that's at you know, a colo such as Equinix, and then you optimize my traffic from there to wherever it needs to go? Yeah, so we optimize it. So most SD-WAN solutions are bookended solutions. So... So that SD-WAN box, that VeloCloud box on-premise is being, the, the connectivity is being optimized to the gateway. So the gateway is a service that we run, typically. And, and so it's a service. So 
you, the, the plus side is you don't have to spin up your own Equinix call. You don't have to spin up your own appliance there to put the bookend and solution together. We provide the other end as a service. So that we can then bond multiple WAN links together using our DMPO or dynamic multipath optimization protocol. And so you can now take three or four internet links if you wanted to, even you know consumer grade links and get a high quality overall uh, link, just kind of like you know RAID for a WAN, if you will, connect through that gateway. And now you're on a tier one backbone or blended transit and have high quality connectivity and public peering to all the major clouds. Without me having to stand up my own, as you put it, Fortune 500 style solution. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I actually was uh, involved in an express route rollout for a client and it took them 12 months to finally get the circuit put in because they actually had to run fiber under a road to get there. So they had to get (laughs) permits to tear up the road and get a construction crew to come in and run the fiber. It was like a whole thing. So the idea of not having to do any of that sounds pretty good to me. They just didn't have a guy with a tennis ball, like, like throw, attach the cable and just throw it across the road. I mean, that's, that's, I thought that's how it was done. Yeah. They they weren't up for that. Surprisingly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, it's, in many regards, I, I think you've just highlighted one of the major benefits. It's, it, you know, you can stand up something in, in an hour versus 12 months to get to production-ready workloads and running in a cloud. The solution's expensive no matter, you know, when you talk about building out a colo, but the time factor, you know, I mentioned VMware, it took 18 months to roll, roll it out completely. 12 months is not unusual at all. Right. Okay. So this scenario, it, we're really talking about hybrid cloud here. We're talking about uh, private on-premises up to public cloud and consuming sort of resources there and network connectivity between those two as data flows back. But what about multi-cloud, Marco? So is that a, a scenario? You, we're, we're talking about VeloCloud here. So is that a solution where VeloCloud helps me as well? Because I I don't know where my bookends are at that point, if you can see my what I'm, what yeah, I'm struggling no, to understand. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So so there's, there's a couple of parts to that. So the gateway service, we, we kind of think of it as the on-ramp to cloud. And because from the gateway, then you can connect to all these other things. Okay, so that's, that's sort of one stage, no, no service chaining involved, if you will. But then there are things like security. We talked about the proxy in the sky. We, wanna, we want to use Checkpoint's uh, cloud security service before we go to any website, okay? But we want to connect <clears throat> directly into Azure, we don't need to go to through the proxy for that particular traffic. Or Office 365 recommends that you go direct so that it can do appropriate geolocation and things like that for your traffic. So in each of these instances, you want to, you do or don't want to service chain the right security into those data paths. And so the, what the gateway allows is what we call business policy that allows you to then essentially express uh, your desired outcome for traffic going to all internet destinations, uh, maybe even just port 80 or 443 or web traffic, that goes to Checkpoint. If you want to go direct to Azure, then just go straight into this IPsec tunnel and connect to Azure through their virtual hub. And then for Microsoft Office, we'll make that up because it's very important to my business. Uh, I make it higher priority so it gets better QoS, but it also goes and bypasses the Checkpoint Cloud Security Services because Microsoft recommends 
that you go direct. And, and this gets into some different aspects of networking. Microsoft has not only their data centers, but also their, I think they call them network nodes, where these are the their on-ramps into the Azure network. And so they want to find the closest one to your egress point, in this case, the gateway, so they can bring you onto the Azure backbone as quickly as possible. And so that's why they recommend that at least a certain set of URLs don't go through your cloud security service. So then, okay, so we're talking about how to add in different services along the way uh, and then how we would do exceptions. So what you talk about is defining like an application profile that I can well, basically steer the traffic with, within a particular service chain or not within a service chain, depending on how I need it to go, what my policy is to deliver that particular application. Correct. Okay. Um, so, so, okay. So, so, so tie this into my multi-cloud scenario. Say I've got uh, a data warehouse application running in AWS and it gets data from some line of business app that's running in Azure. Um, uh, can we optimize that traffic, uh, understand how to make it most efficient, that sort of thing? Yes. Uh, but I guess the answer is always maybe in some. It depends. Regard, yes. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> so you're talking about two flows. You've got the user flow going into the data warehouse. Then you've got the backend flow from the data warehouse to, uh, the line of business app. And so when leaving so there's two possibilities, and again, it sort of depends on how the network was designed. Classically, people will end up setting up a separate VPN in from one net, one cloud to the other so they can access the line of business app that's running, I think you said, in AWS. Um, and so it's essentially completely independent. When you have the waypoint of a, of a gateway, you can come back to the gateway and then go through. And the, the benefit is one, a defined path, but you can also apply business policy, apply security again if you needed to, uh, run it through uh, either a classic firewall or uh, or some sort of specialized application firewall to make sure that that traffic doesn't contain information that you know maybe someone's trying to exfiltrate data, etc. So uh, the gateway ends up in that latter scenario potentially being a control point where you can essentially inject another layer of security. So okay, so it is possible for me to, to you you described the uh, the gateway as being a waypoint. So it is possible for me to have that Velo Cloud box in the middle of that multi-cloud conversation, so that I can influence, add security, whatever I need to, according to policy. You're saying, correct. And again, people will do that, or they again, it all depends on how they set up the network. But yes, that is certainly a a recommended deployment. Mm -hmm. So then one, one final question as I try to paint this all to, uh, to get, get this all painted together in my mind, we've got a hybrid cloud scenario with our bookends. We've got a multi-cloud scenario here where I can use VeloCloud as a waypoint. Um, what does my network look like at that point? If I, am I stitching all of these different little network segments together into something cohesive? Yeah. So this is, so let's stick with the gateway as, as the sort of the, the waypoint in this model then you're defining that network behavior you know, in what we would typically call a profile. So any branches or any data centers that are part of that profile essentially inherit knowledge of that topology and the access and the policy that goes with it. So you would define that in the VCO, in, oh, sorry, in our VeloCloud orchestrator. Probably should switch to VMware orchestrator at some point. And 
you can control that all from one place. So you can have a consistent view. And back to the service chaining aspect, you can make sure that any flows coming from the data warehouse going to the line of business app go through the appropriate security service. I keep using security service as, as an example, but it could be other things. It could be a mid-mile or other, other type of solution that we service chain between those two. Yeah, I was curious about maybe an aspect of compliance where you could have a situation where you where data can't leave a particular, you know, sovereign country or area. And, uh, you know, you could have this kind of in the way to inspect the traffic as it exits one of the clouds and make sure that it's not leaving a region it isn't supposed to. Is that a scenario that you've seen or, or, or has someone set up? So we've definitely gotten the ask and we can help, but we today we don't necessarily ensure all of it. So as an example, we have our gateway service worldwide. We have we run a thousand gateways, our partners run another thousand gateways. So we have pretty good global coverage. And so a lot of the, the countries, you know, in particular the EU and Germany and others have those data sovereignty requirements. So for there, we run basically the, our, the whole VeloCloud stack in region. And then uh, that allows them to make sure that any traffic directed to any VeloCloud components, including the gateways, stay in region. Now, the system allows you to configure tunnels to the U.S. So the, the operator, the customer or the MSP who's operating it needs to make sure they don't create a tunnel elsewhere. But you know, mm -hmm. we can help with that. Any help is always appreciated in that area. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, uh, let's dive into the day-to-day -day operations of the VeloCloud solution. One thing that I, I've noticed is that the different public clouds out there all have different networking behavior. Um, they only expose some of the networking, networking to you. And it's not just IP and routing protocols anymore. There's a lot of other things that go into properly configuring networking in AWS or Azure. So I guess the question would be, do engineers need to understand the peculiarities and uniqueness of each cloud they're interacting with? Or does VeloCloud sort of mask some of the uh, underlying weirdness of those clouds? <laughs> I say we can help. <laughs> so... You know, things like, so I, I've mentioned Virtual Hub, or it, this is part of the Azure Virtual WAN uh, project where, you know, they've essentially set up, you know, something similar like uh, an AWS Transit Gateway. They're in the analogies Network Hub in Azure. So what we do is we work with these cloud providers uh, and we connect to these network constructs that they've created that make the internetworking of your VNets or your or your VPCs, depending on which cloud you're in, easier. So if I take the Azure example again, that virtual hub is created in your Azure account. And so when you're in your Azure console, you can say, I want all my VNets, or maybe all but two, to peer to this virtual hub. And boom, I've all of a sudden you know, created a, a transit for them to internetwork with each other. And VeloCloud has worked with Azure to automatically connect our gateways into that virtual hub. So you can quickly now set up a full network environment between the two consoles, the, the Azure console, as well as the, the, the VeloCloud orchestrator. You can actually give us the credentials in, through the VeloCloud orchestrator and we'll actually automate the connectivity for you. So we do help a lot, um, but 
clouds are always changing and there's always something new. So uh, I can't claim that we're the, the be all end all of all that. Right. I think what's interesting to me is do you also set up all the custom routing uh, that has to happen on the virtual networks to make sure that the traffic is egressing properly? Because I know that's that's been a headache for Azure administrators in the past as well. Right. And so between the two solutions, we do uh, automate that now through the through the APIs that that Microsoft is exposed. And when you act, when you add a VNet to the virtual hub, boom! All of a sudden, we find out about that subnet through the API, and we can automatically add it to the, the routing information. Marco, I I, will, I think it'd be interesting to take a take a little step back and have a kind of a technical explanation of, of internet transport architecture. You alluded to some of it earlier, where you mentioned, "Hey, like the the Azure people want you to get on their network as quickly as possible." I think. I think I've heard AWS is a little different where they're happy to have you on the internet as long as possible before you actually hit their network and so on. Um, so so, so here's a question for you. If we think about internet transport architecture, many engineers are going to think of it as kind of like the internet's a big cloud and we send traffic down our WAN link and then the big cloud does like routing magic and I think I've heard of BGP or something and then traffic pops out the other side of the big cloud. But all this stuff that we gloss over here by just calling it a big cloud and drawing a big cloud on the whiteboard. There's some structure that's worth discussing there. There's a couple of terms that you've used that I I think are worth defining. You've said uh, last mile, I think, and also mid mile. Could you define those two terms for us in the context of internet transport? Yeah. So the last mile in this case tends to be the connectivity between the physical branch, your home, your, or, or whatever that physical point of presence is, to the internet. And so uh, that last mile uh, you know, Comcast uh, business class internet or, or a, a direct internet access from, from AT&T or something like that, um, those are your last mile. Yeah, it, in the U.S. market, last mile is always great. I mean, you're, you're talking about – I mean, I thought we all had fiber to our homes now. Do, do we not? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, don't I wish. Uh, you don't live in Los Gatos, do you? <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, some places great, right? Fiber to the home, you got great, great connectivity. But even even there, you know, uh, all the fiber to the home stuff, especially for on the consumer side, that's all relatively oversubscribed because you know they need to make money and they're offering it for whatever eighty bucks a month. So while it's great ninety eight percent of the time, there's two percent where you know your neighbors are watching Netflix and on all four TVs in their home. <laughs> might have an effect in 4k but but that last mile then so i mean that that is right that that's literally the last mile that's getting to you know your wherever you are uh to the internet correct and so that's you know that's plugging into some sort of access network you know again i use the comcast example they're then you know taking that traffic and putting it on the internet which consists of tier one tier two providers and whoever they're in that particular uh, geography, they're they're connected to for their internet uplink, and that person then peers with the other tier one. So you've got multiple peering relationships, and um, depending on your service provider, you may have hot potato routing issues where people are saying, "Hey, this isn't destined for my network. Just take the first exit that you find and and leave, and go find the right place." Uh, versus others, you know, you, back to the Azure example. Azure, once they get the traffic, 
they they want it on their network as long as possible. Hmm. All right. So then, uh, mid-mile, I think you were, you were just getting into that. Oh, yeah, then. Sorry. So yeah, no, that's, that's fine. Yeah. So the mid-mile, uh, mid-mile has basically always been that, that, what, what I've just referred to as the internet backbone in the sense of, you know, these tier one, tier two, uh, providers. So basically a public or private backbone. So mid-mile has also come up recently because there's a, a new set of, of companies in this space, Mode, Teridian, among others, where they're offering alternate, I'll call them private backbone, uh, as an overlay to exist to, to other things. Uh, they both approach it differently. But, and you can think of it, you can model it like, oh, I, I'm a company, I want to buy an MPLS backbone uh, from a tier one provider. Oh, I could buy an equivalent type of thing from one of these two to get to connect all my branches to this backbone and then uh, connect me to the services I want to get to. So, so you mentioned uh, Teridian, uh, Mode.net, and there, there's certainly other companies that play in this space. But what you're trying to 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 sell sell me on or, or get me to believe is, okay, I send traffic out to the internet, and these magical companies somehow make the internet faster for me. Is that fair? Certainly, that's part of the value proposition. I would you could almost make an analogy that they are like an MPLS provider in the sense that, you know, you can go buy a private link from MPL, uh, from AT&T that spans the United States and gives you better, uh, because it's private, it's physically separate from that, from that internet. These guys are trying to do something like that, but on top of, or, or with in conjunction with other partners and, and got offered to you either as better or faster slash cheaper. Faster slash cheaper slash optimized slash better in some way. Okay, and I, and I've I've actually talked to uh, Teridian and Mode um, in the past, and I I have some understanding of what they're what they're doing there, uh, and it's yeah, it is it's interesting. It's over the top, and then it's magic sauce on the inside that means they can optimize traffic flows between their different pops, and if you're one of their customers, you're the beneficiary of that. Where if you just allow the traffic to flow through whatever the internet routing magic is, um, and whatever policies your ISP might have, uh, you're subject to that, and you get what you get, and it's best effort, and it's you know maybe not in your the best interest of your traffic, but but these guys, you know, Teridian Mode, we've mentioned, um, can optimize that and improve your end user experience as their application traffic flows across that infrastructure. Tie that into VeloCloud because I know there's some kind of a relationship you have with some of these mid mile optimizers. Yeah. I guess we could call them. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, going back to the, the our gateway architecture, so maybe stepping back for a sec, you know we sell with two or through tier one service providers and tier two service providers, where their part of what they're selling is the value of their MPLS or other backbone, and so our gateways have attached to mid miles, you know, pretty much since day one. What because of these these new overlay solutions, what we now have the opportunity to is with our public gateways, the ones that are in those Equinix locations on you know, well-connected internet links, we can now connect to those mid-miles on behalf of our customers and transport the, our customers' traffic over these optimized mid-miles. And so that's the value proposition that we can bring. Now, <laughs> back to our, our business policy, 
we don't necessarily want to send all traffic over a mid mile. Um, you know, like most things, distance matters here. So where you have the, the big win for these guys is when you have the longer the link, the bigger the win typically, because there's more opportunity to optimize. So especially when you're going cross country, cross, cross continents, uh, or, you know, into uh, geographies that have, you know, maybe great firewalls, uh, there are big wins to be had there. And I think that's where you want, maybe you want to focus. And so certain traffic we put on the mid-mile if you have distant locations. But when you're going from, uh, again, I'll just use a random example. If you're going from, from California to a SaaS provider that's also in the same Polo facility uh, as our gateway pop, we're probably not going to use the mid so who's the mid-mile customer here? Is that me as the consumer? Um, do, am I a Teridian or a Mode uh, customer as well? Or or am I a VeloCloud customer? And as a box, I can check or something. I could just use VeloCloud to, to leverage those mid-mile optimization services. Yeah, today today you're, you would have to be a customer of both, uh, VeloCloud and, and Teridian, to use an example. And we have certified the solution, meaning we, we've, We've tested interoperability, and, and we know that, that it works. Uh, you might see in the future uh, automation around that connectivity, so we make it easier for our customers. You know, have a drop-down says, would you like to connect to Teridian? And please put in your code or whatever it is, and we'll automate that, that connectivity for you. Find the best location, et cetera. Now, for the skeptical engineer that's listening to this and going, uh, I don't how much better can it be really? You know, should I do this? Um, give me in a, in a practical way, the benefits I'm likely to experience. And let's, let's bring it right down to like user experience. My user sitting in, you know, this remote office is, uh, got a direct internet access service, you know, bookended by Velo cloud. And they're trying to consume something in uh, the public cloud that I've got up there, some application for them. Is that, is this a practical use case where their world gets better somehow? In general, I would say probably not. I think you, where, where these mid miles tend to shine is, is where you have long-distance connections. So my example would be if you're running a latency-sensitive or jitter-sensitive application like voice or something like that across the country or uh, to another country, your last mile is well-optimized, but, you know, the the longer you're on that backbone slash mid mile, you know, in this case the internet specifically, because you're trying to talk one person in California, one person in Virginia, I think that's where the mid mile has has its has its value because they can smooth out the variations in the internet. <sighs> okay. They longer. can they can guarantee a certain um transport profile of jitter and latency and so on that the, the plain old internet can't. But but you know it's going to be consistent to be able to deliver that voice between those two end locations. I gotcha. I gotcha. Right. And it, it sounds like you don't need to go through the more onerous process of getting an MPLS circuit set up and all of that. The the process for enrolling in one of these mid-mile providers sounds a little less difficult. Would that be generally correct? Yeah, that's generally correct. I mean, just <laughs> like just like uh SD-WAN, they are they are an overlay, and so they can quickly stand up these services. And that's one of the big Right. Now, there are some computing scenarios that it doesn't matter how well you've optimized the network. Um, 
how little latency you've gotten there. There's no optimization optimization that's going to be performant enough. And of course, I'm thinking about edge type scenarios. What what sort of edge type scenarios have you seen out there, uh, and how would Velo Cloud um, help improve the performance or or integrate with those edge type scenarios? So that's a cool question because uh, this gets into a, a, a sort of a broader realm of stuff around compute. So I'll, I'll take an extreme case that I saw a demo of recently, and it's, it's a warehouse control system. And so you've got these robots running vertically, horizontally, et cetera. You can think of like the, the, the turbo lift inside Star Trek running around all that's the starship. It's the same thing. It's running around this gr- literally a, a cube of storage pulling things out. Um, that type of system is controlled by compute and it has to coordinate across all these, these things. So the compute not only has to be ultra low latency and responsive, uh, it has to be online. So in this particular thing, they put the compute next to the the warehouse cube, if you will, and they connect uh, with SD-WAN in this example up to the, the bigger compute where the warehouse uh, management system, the inventory system is. And so they, they know the locations and stuff like that. So by putting that critical compute close to where it's needed in the rare chance that all WAN links failed or, or that you, you're not having these little robots crash into each other, uh, but you can also get the response time you need, you know, again, and operate these systems at, at extremely high rates uh, and, and close tolerances. Uh, you have similar things with ARVR. ARVR is slightly potent, uh, I would less latency sensitive. So there, people are starting to move compute to the edge of the network. So I think some of the things you'll see from from AT and T and Azure in this space, where they're pushing compute down toward the let's just say in, in close to the mobile five uh, G edge, uh, you'll be able to you know run around with a Hololens and work on an you know, an aircraft landing gear strut with the with the expert from Boeing virtually sitting on your shoulder and telling you what to do. So, or I could be running around hunting Pokemon, right? Which is <laughs> more <laughs> likely of the two scenarios. Okay, maybe true, but yeah, but so the I, so I think that that's the the world we're living in is that you know compute. You know, we saw over the last twenty years compute moved from the edge into data center and now to cloud. And now you're seeing this cool trend where because of the new applications, IoT, and some of these other cool ones that I just mentioned, we're actually pushing compute back down to the edge, whether that's in the network edge or whether it's down into the branch. You know, compute is running around. So your client, regardless of where the client is, has to get through the network or the cloud to get to the compute that he's trying to run in. And, you know, the new architectures like Kubernetes and things they're, they're, you know, part of the benefit is you can break up these applications into little microservices. And one of the microservices is over there on the edge. One of them is in Azure running separately. So you, the network has to not just find the right destination, but also plumb in the other functions that need to be built into that fabric to make sure that that access is, 
correct, appropriate, and secure. You, you just described operational hell, Marco. Just, just so we're we're clear here, that sounds terrifying. So, all right, you, you you just said I got this edge compute cloud. I've got stuff on in the public cloud. Maybe I'm running stuff in my own local data center. Who knows? So, uh, with these workloads stuck wherever I need to to stick them to get the performance profile I need, uh, how do I manage that co- cohesively? Is there a is there an answer, Marco? Oh, uh, I wish I had the answer. The Uber answer. So I, I think, uh, and this is where I think uh, VeloCloud being part of VMware makes a lot of sense because what does VMware do? They do compute, right? That was the original starting point of, of, of VMware. So as VMware has moved into, you know, beyond uh, virtual machines and now, you know, with Project Pacific and things like that, going into Kubernetes and, and the NSX service mesh pushing compute into the network, and locating that compute, the broader VMware is well positioned to not only organize and, and operate these workloads across the network with NSX and SD-WAN, we can actually help connect them all and find them all. So I won't say we have all the answers yet, but I think we're really well positioned to bring this all together into a, a, a making that operational hell actually manageable. Well, you're talking about giving me some kind of a unified interface that I can leverage to you know, look at all of my different compute areas and manage it as as one thing rather than 18 different little things. <laughs> That's the intent. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think uh, you know, you you click down enough levels, you'll see the 18 little things. But yeah, you'll be able to manage it and express the intent uh, at a higher level and and let the system, you know deal with what has to happen. Now, will you have to say that the, the, this microservice needs to be close to the, the warehouse? Yes, it, you will have to tell it those parameters, but I think managing the system overall will be much, much easier. And, um, you know, we've just talked about the compute operational hell, if you will. Imagine the security ramifications of all this, right? Because let's go back to the robots. Someone hacks that system and starts taking in between the the warehouse management and the controllers. They can start stuffing boxes full of all those high priced iPods. Not iPods. Who cares about those? <laughs> uh, Apple phones and 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 the new AirPods or whatever else into the somebody's order and and ship it out. So security is part and parcel of this. Well, I, I thought and, modern applications were all so secure we didn't have to worry about that so much anymore. Is that am, am I wrong? <laughs> I must be wrong. So, um, so yeah, so, uh, but no, but on on back to the serious note, security is paramount. And so, you know, having security built into that network fabric is going to be key. And, and, and again, expressing the, the outcome, the desired protection level and letting the system deploy things as needed and, and, and service chain as needed is a big part of that. So whether we call it, software-defined perimeter or some of the other buzzwords that are out there, you know, tying security and access together, I think, is a big thing. Now, one of the things that we like to do on Day 2 Cloud as we approach the wrap-up point is to get some key takeaways, some, like, actionable items for listeners out there as they're concluding their drive or their run or whatever they do when they listen to podcasts. So, Marco, could you give us maybe three key takeaways uh, that a listener should come away with from this episode? Yeah, sure. So, 
I mean, I think the big one for me is, you know, sort of tying a lot of what we just talked about together is that, that application architectures are, are, are changing and evolving. You know, they moved from, from data center to cloud. And as part of that, they, they turned to Kubernetes as kind of like the, the cloud architecture of choice and fundamentally building microservices and being able to now project certain levels of compute into different locations. So those containers are now running in other places. So the client going to the cloud and connecting to the container that they need to connect to to get the job done is the new world. And I think with the advent of IoT and some of those things, we're going to see more and more of that. Application architectures are evolving. Yes, uh, absolutely. Which is half the reason this podcast exists. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. True. That, that is, it is a nonstop uh, moving target right now. Um, so that, that, that's one big business. thought, Marco. Give us, uh, give us a couple more. Yeah. So, um, you know, by the same token, as those, as those components move around the classic security model of, of putting a firewall, the perimeter of the data center isn't going to work anymore because the data center is now spread out over multiple geographies like in physical locations. So the security has to kind of move with it. So it needs to be part of the security, the network fabric, or I should say the network and security need to be part of the same fabric. Yeah, yeah that is, it, it's no good to just be backhauling traffic through a next-gen firewall or something. That doesn't work. You need Correct. to be, yeah, yeah. It breaks, right? You know, if I'm trying, back to my warehouse example, trying to send <clears throat> the traffic between that robot uh, and its controller through the, the, the data center headquarters uh, on-premise in, you know, Poughkeepsie, New York or wherever, is not going to work. Someone needs to give me a geography lesson. But yeah, so so yeah, that the security needs to be plumbed in between the cloud and and that robot. And then one last takeaway, Marco. Yeah, sort of related to that point, I, w- I was thinking about it. It's like, you know, you, you guys have made the point several times the operational hell that comes along with <laughs> with some of this complexity. I I mean, you're right. It, it is operational operationally difficult to do it in today's world. So I think that. The more integrated that we can make policy, the more we can express the intent or the outcome we desire through our systems and have the systems be automated enough to deal with that is the only way this is going to become reality. And I think whether we like it or not, uh, AR, VR, and and chasing Pokemon, uh, wearing a HoloLens has become reality. Maybe not the HoloLens part. What a shining reality it's become. (laughs) (laughs) Got to get my Greninja. So let's let's wrap this up. Uh, where, if uh, audience uh, members are interested, where can they find out more? Do you have uh, some some presentations or or a website they could visit? Yeah. So um, the velocloud.com slash products uh, and slash architecture gives you a lot more information about our, our overall architecture. Uh, we also have at the same velocloud.com. Under sd-wan-resources-slash-white-papers, we have a lot more detail about actual deployments and, and, and security and things like that. And then for all the current stuff, you can also find more at our at the VMware blog site, blogs.vmware.com slash VeloCloud. Great. And of course, you can always follow us on Twitter at VeloCloud. Awesome. And we will include all of those links in the show notes so listeners don't have to try to scribble this down while they're driving. <laughs> yeah, there's already don't three people that. off the road because they're like writing on their hand trying to, yeah. Mm, sorry, don't do it in the show notes. That's right. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. 
Yeah, thanks, Marco. Thanks, uh, Marco Mergia of VMware's VeloCloud has appeared on Day 2 Cloud. Thank you very much. And thanks to VeloCloud for sponsoring the episode today. And hey, virtual high fives to you who just drove off the road writing down URLs. Thanks to you for tuning in. We appreciate it. You're pretty awesome out there. And everybody we know tells us so. And if you have suggestions for future shows or if you want to be a, a guest to share your cloud battle scars, hey, tell us all about it. Tweet at Day 2 Cloud Show. Fill out the form on netinthecloud.com or email day2cloudshow at packetpushers.net. And until then, just remember that cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans. Mm-hmm.